Welcome to the build-up on Balls.ie in association with Labrooks. Please bet responsibly. Visit dunlui.net for further information. Hello and welcome to the build-up here on Balls.ie where we get you built up for all the biggest weekend sporting action and none bigger than the Six Nations at this time of year. We're here with thanks to Labrooks. And as it is the Six Nations, of course, we are joined by the one and only Stephen Ferris. Stephen, we want we wanted we wanted to be happier here. We wanted to be talking about France and how we were going to take care of this, uh, or you know, take advantage of this England slip up. And suddenly there was a, a an unexpected grand slam on the horizon. If we could just beat France, France go and win by fifty points or whatever. We uh, lose to Wales, and all of a sudden you're looking over your shoulder, going, "Is this championship even <laughs> even on for us?" You know, Sunday becomes this massive, massive game that it's going to be a long month and a half or so if uh, if they don't win on Sunday. Yeah, well, the bookies, Mick, would suggest that it is 100% over for us. Um, and the reason I say that is because Ireland are now out to 7-1. to one. Um, Probably might even be bigger than that come kickoff at the weekend on Sunday. Um, and just right behind us is Italy. You know, so we're, we're sitting five out of six in the, in the bookies' rankings. And unfortunately, that's not where I expected us to be. And I'm sure a lot of Irish fans and, um, you know, the players themselves didn't expect to slip up and you know when you get yourself into a nice lead going into half time you can regather put a few things in place coming out in the second half try and control the game and uh, you know discipline was a huge thing that let Ireland down at the weekend in the second half a couple of key players I'm sure you we're, we're going to elaborate on um, you know didn't have their best days and uh, now it's you know after the game fans journalists calling for you know change calling for this team to use this Six Nations as an opportunity to see others, to give uh, lads game time, to see where we're where we are heading in towards a 2023 Rugby World Cup, and um, I'm of a similar thinking. So we'll see how Sunday pans out. But uh, France are going to be very dangerous, and it's the first time France have came to uh, came to Dublin as favourites for quite a long time. Um, you know, considering their record over the last decade. In the, in the Six Nations, it hasn't been particularly good. So they're coming over here, favourites, three-point favourites at the minute. And and that might actually get a little, a little bit bigger uh, towards the weekend when we hear what the team is going to be because there could be significant change within the ranks. I think it was four HIAs in the game at the weekend, three of those Irish lads. That's also another huge concern. Um, and, yeah, we'll, we'll see what direction they go in. But, uh, yeah, it's it's been a difficult Difficult couple of days. The Peter O'Mahony red card, I'm sure we're going to talk about it a bit, Mick. So um, it was all hype and building it up last week. And it, it just seems like we're, we're a bit doom in the gloom this week. Absolutely, yeah. And like, it's it's hard to put your finger on really as a, a like, you don't want to be, we don't want to just go into, oh, Peter O'Mahony, what was he thinking? Like, I mean, it's, it's self-evident really. And I thought what you're mentioning about the HIAs and, I don't know if it's a positive thing. It doesn't look good for us to watch four HIAs in a game, but I suppose players aren't coming back on when you don't think they should be, and nobody is complaining about Peter and Matney getting sent off. I feel if that happened two years ago, we'd be having very different debates um, as to that sending off. So maybe you know it, it's happening too slowly, but maybe that's a step in the right direction. But from a you know a flanker's point of view, you're playing you, your position is literally where Pete was playing. You're going in for that, you know. 
it's a momentary lapse. You know, you can't, you don't want to hold it against him for the rest of his career. But how, as a professional, as a team that's building an entire championship around starting off this game and you're less than 20 minutes in for him to do that, as a teammate, your heart just must sink and think, my God, this is just this is just an impossible road to climb now all of a sudden just because of just one moment. Yeah, definitely. And I actually can put myself in his shoes because back in 2012, um, I gave away a last-minute penalty, which I ended up receiving a yellow card for by none other than Wayne Barnes uh, at the Aviva Stadium uh, in the first game. And Lee Halfpenny stepped up to kick the points to, you know, there was only a couple of minutes left on the clock and Wales actually went on to win. The, I know I've talked about this before mm. on the build-up, but Wales went on to win that game and win a Grand Slam off the back of that. And, you know, I think, you know, there was no one, like Pete didn't specifically go in there to try and uh, do damage and hit somebody in the head. I don't think that was the case whatsoever. And we heard Wayne Barnes on the referee, Mike, that he thought it was a, a legitimate clear out. Now, yeah. he wasn't at the other side of the rock, so he couldn't see Tom Francis where exactly his head was. But when you slow everything down to the millisecond, it makes it look 10 times worse than it actually was. And I'm not saying here that you know it shouldn't have been a red card because I completely agree with everybody out there that any contact with the head um, in circumstances like that should receive a red card. But... but it was made out to look a hell of a lot worse than it probably see, yeah, was. Yeah. Um, and you know that's where you get the reaction. That's where you get the reaction on Twitter, Instagram. People calling for you know Pete's head, saying he's this, that, and the other. He's the worst player ever to play for Ireland, and like it's absolutely disgraceful. And make something that I, you know, this might probably get a lot of traction here, but I listen to talk sport an awful lot, and I hear all these footballers coming on and talking about Black Lives Matter and talking about you know, the influence of social media and how negative it is towards all these players. And they're trying to bring the game forward. And, um, you know, Toon Zabi and Marcus Rashford and, uh, you know, Anthony Martial over the last couple of weeks have received all these crazy threats. And the referee, Mike Dean, receiving death threats after sending Sukek off that last week. But yet in rugby, when there's comments made about Billy Burns, when there's comments made about Peter O'Mahony, it just seems to get brushed off. You know, this is having a massive effect on these guys' lives, on their partners, on their kids. You know, they're not going to school at the minute, but like it has a detrimental effect to these lads. And it just seems to be brushed over in, in rugby. And there's so much focus, so much focus on football and other sports. And it's, uh, it's about time that, you know, players took action and, you know, done exactly the same things that uh, the football lads are doing and trying to speak to the, the head of Twitter and trying to get things in place to to get rid of these idiots who have never, ever been on the on the pitch to ex- experience what international rugby is all about, but yet they have the right opinion. For me to go on and say something about Peter O'Mahony or for Brian O'Driscoll to say something about Billy Burns, every right to do so because they've been there, they've done it, they've got the, te- the T-shirt and they can relate to it. But these people, keyboard warriors, standing behind their their iPhones or whatever it is, and absolutely slating people, it is hugely detrimental to um, the mental health uh, and to where that, that that player can go further forward. So I think that's just a huge point to bring up uh, mm. because it, it just gets brushed under the carpet far too many times. Um, and I know 
you know, Maggie uh, Alfonso was doing the England game. She had brought it out, brought it up about some of the, the things that were said about female commentary and female pundits that were working on the England game. And you know, I think it's just got to be cut out of the out of the game completely because it's uh, it, it's an absolute disaster. And uh, until such things, you know, there needs yeah. to be action taken. And uh, that, that's my personal feeling on it, Mick. Yeah, no, it's it's a really good point to bring up, and I I, I actually was thinking about this the other day, even you know when it comes to, you know, our, our the backlash to that criticism sometimes then, and people are saying, oh look, everybody always wants to protect the rugby lads, and it's like there is an element of you watch the game and you think, God, I can't believe he did that, and you're watching it, and it's clearly from the point of view of the game, but when it becomes about the person, it's a very different thing than the player on it, like it's almost like treating. A rugby match sometimes as a TV show or something like that. You know, it's like you can have a you can have a, an opinion of it almost within the eighty minutes. But after that, it's like, who cares really? In the end of the day, that Peter and Matney got sent off. Is it really worth tagging? I've seen people like tagging Munster and stuff in it, knowing that you know people around him will see the abuse. And obviously, you mentioned Billy Burns there as well, and there was a lot of that for a mistake by a young player that he made in the game by trying to ultimately get the advantage. You kind of think that Johnny Sexton did something very similar just before. And if he was on the pitch, maybe he wouldn't have missed touch, but he's 10 years more experienced than, than Billy Burns. But he also, he would have tried to, he would have had the same idea. He would have tried to get every last inch because it was the only way Ireland were going to get a try. And I'm sorry, I'm getting into the kind of specifics now, which are irrelevant to your point, because the whole issue is, who cares, I, is, is, I suppose is my point. But I, I don't know, is there ever, is, is there a sense that, do you think that players can recognise the difference between the in-the-moment criticism for, even if it is from Joe Soaps, like me, rather than ex-pros, and when it steps over the line to this has become personal, this has become a, a, you know a slight against my character because of something I did in a, in a rook. Yeah, like I think personally, from you know being an ex-pro and obviously doing a good bit of work in the media over the last number of years and doing hundreds of articles along the way, there there are certain players that have fallen out with me because I've given an, an opinion. Um, about them or think that somebody is playing better rugby at them at a specific time. Like Fergus McFadden is is really cool with me now because you know I think four or five years ago uh, I thought Stuart McCluskey deserved the chance ahead of him and said that um, you know in a news article somewhere and all of a sudden you know people you know that hits home to some people and, and they don't like that and, and maybe that's because you know, 2011 World Cup I built up a really good relationship with Ferg and I suppose now, um, hopefully, you know, he's retired and he's had time to reflect. I think he's a cracking, cracking lad, a great bloke. And, you know, what tremendous uh, ceremony was the Leinster and Ireland over the years. And, you know, back then, it's only a comment and it can be some, some players can take it differently. Uh, and I think, again, everybody's different. Like, how is this abuse and how are these, um, crazy comments that have been thrown at Billy Burns, how are they going to affect him? You know, he might be yeah. the type of character that just brushes them off, but I think for the way he sunk to his knees at the weekend that it will have an impact on him. Um, and because he's not a born and bred here in Ireland, then that adds more fuel to the fire and it gives uh, people more reasons to get on top of him. And, and I think, you know, sometimes that is, is very unfair. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's it's really really tough, Mick. But I, I think um, I've been there. Probably said a few things in, in, mm. in the past that I've probably went a little bit too hard at players. Um, there's 
a lot in the media this week that has been said about Johnny Sexton and other players within the Ireland team that I think is maybe a little bit too harsh as well. But for me, if people have been there, have been on the pitch and have actually done it, then their opinion matters a hell of a lot more than Joe Blogg sitting in front of his TV, um, hiding behind his keyboard and, and slating players using inappropriate language that uh, that nobody should see. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you, and I hope that most people watching do as well. And I think that there's a, I think it is important as well that we are able to criticise professionals about the sport itself. But when it becomes a personal dig or when it becomes an over the top campaign, almost as well, you know, you could you could include pundits and journalists in that as well, who might just go that little bit further because they want to not necessarily make a name for themselves, but they want to be heard, you know. Um, and like you know, again, ultimately, it's a it's a it's a game <laughs> it's, 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 a, it's a game and they've all got long careers and they've all got lives to have as well so i think we're all in agreement with that moving on though to the, like i mean one of the questions is then on a more kind of legitimate way of talking about it is i saw a lot of people you know calling for maybe ireland starting to you know you mentioned even at the start maybe it's time to start looking at some new players for this and one of those things is that out half me and you have talked about it before what's the succession plan to johnny sexton Johnny Sexton's a HIA. We don't know if he's going to make it. It's looking pretty good at the moment. He was doing the press conference today. But, you know, do you stick with Billy Burns there? Do you say, right, go out and do it? I suppose it depends on the character Ron Nogara was suggesting during the week as well on, you know, what way he might take what happened on um, on, on Sunday. But then, you know, Jack Carty's not in the squad. Joey Carberry's still injured. You've got... Harry Byrne and Ben Healy waiting in the wings. I think a lot of people want to just put them right through, even though they haven't been tested at anything other than almost B-level Pro 14. What, Where do you come in with it? Like, And we're only starting when we're talking about the out-halves. It's almost just an example because there's it, it's it, it's all over the pitch, really. Yeah, I've been, again, just reading a lot of a lot of stuff over the last 48 hours. And, you know, I've listened to Brian O'Driscoll, listened to Ron O'Gara, um, guys who've been there, experienced um, the out half and outside centre positions, and know a lot of, a lot more about out half play than me. But the first thing that I would want to address is how many concussions has Johnny Sexton had in his career? I read an article; somebody suggested over thirty. Um, you know, that's me just throwing that out there. That could be wrong, but at the weekend, it looked to me like he was knocked out. It looked to me that he was motionless on the ground. For a period of time for two three four five seconds whatever it is it looked like he was knocked out when he got up looked a bit dazed and for me for somebody to i know there's these protocols in place but if you're knocked out i just don't know how you can play the following week like it, it, I, I i just don't understand it i i've been there i've taken a whack to the chin i went off at half time personally said to the doctor i was like i don't feel good out there i feel a wee bit hazy um mm. He went through the protocols with me at halftime. He says, Stevie, I think there's an element of concussion here. We're bringing you off. And I passed protocols then um, later on that evening in the hotel room and the next day after that. Uh, but for me, I, I wasn't knocked out. Now, is concussion it's such a huge topic, isn't it? And, yeah. and, and there's so much. I'm not sure there's a right or wrong, Mick, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, it's a small concussion a big concussion, one of the mm. micro concussions that they talk about. Um, you know, what what are, what are the differences? But if somebody's knocked out cold, then I personally feel that like they shouldn't be playing the following week. Um, I, I understand, yeah. It certainly doesn't look good like for him. Yeah. Yes, correct. It doesn't yeah. look good. It doesn't look good. 
And I put out a tweet at, at the weekend, and um, you know, I think I, ba- I backed it up with another tweet the following day to kind of show people where I was coming from. I didn't say that scrum caps, you know, stop concussion. Mm. But, you know, I, I spoke to a company called Enpro, who are actually a Galway-based company who have who have a, a head guard. Theirs isn't called a scrum cap; it's called a head guard. I spoke to the owner uh, there, a guy called Mark Anley. Um, the other day on a Zoom call for for long periods periods of time, and what I would say to people, anybody watching this, if if you ask me to go and stand on a cricket wicket, and the fastest bowler in the world came down, and he was throwing a wicket, and you said, Stevie, just before he comes running down here, do you want to wear a box or do you not want to wear a box to protect your nuts? I'd be like, yeah, yeah, give me that there. Why? Because it's a layer of protection. So. If, if you're going out on the rugby pitch and somebody says to you, I'll see that scrum cap there or that mm. headgear, it's a layer of protection. Do you want to wear it? Nah, 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 I don't want to wear it. Why wouldn't you want to wear a layer of protection? Like, yeah. You, do, do you know what I mean? Now, yeah. in the back of Canterbury headgears, it says, this headgear protects from cuts, scratches, and most importantly, cauliflower ears, okay? The other scrum cap, Empro, that's that's out at the minute. You see um, Sean O'Brien wearing it. You see uh, Nandolo wearing it. You see young Eric O'Sullivan wearing it. Alton Delan wearing it. A n- number of other players, they're wearing this headgear. Now, this is proven to minimize the force when you get hit. So if somebody's handing you a scrum cap and says, oh, that actually does help with, with protection, with force, and... Where does concussion come from? It comes from force. It mm. has to come from force. So, yes, there's all these things saying scrum caps don't, you know, they don't, they don't do anything for concussion, blah, blah, blah. But what I would say from a personal point of view, from wearing a scrum cap for all those years, that it's a layer of protection. And yeah. that's, that, that, that's the way I would put it out there. And to see Johnny go down at the weekend, he clipped, um, you know, his head clipped, uh, who, um, the knee, uh, yeah, uh, and he went down. I said, Oh, geez, not again. You know, James Ryan went off, Robbie Hedgehog went off, and we knew it was going to be a huge talking point, especially especially with his history of concussions. And he was out of the game for I can't remember how long four months or something when he was mm. wrestling when he hurt, uh, had a bad concussion playing for Ireland in 2014. And as you rightly say, Mick. It's just the look that that kind of gives to young kids that are uh, watching the games, young, uh, parents with young kids watching the games. Sure. And um, I, I think, you know, it needs to be addressed moving forward. But at the minute, Johnny Sexton, the out half position, Mick, there needs to be somebody, a succession plan. That that seems to be what's been talked about all week, isn't it? Yeah. What's the succession plan Was it for, for Johnny Sexton? What's the succession plan uh, at Loosehead? Where, where are we? Um, and only Andy Farrell and his coaching team have the answers for that of what direction they want to go. Um, but it's it, it's tough to see the captain of Ireland, somebody that I played with um, throughout the years, underage rugby as well, um, very, very rarely finishing a game, like so rarely finishing a game. Um, and, you know, just to... Uh, I, I know it's uh, it's 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 quite negative, but you know he went off in the Ulster game with an HIA. He went yeah. off in the Munster game with a hamstring. He's went off in the Ireland game with an HIA or being knocked out, and that's all in the space of a month, Mick. So you know if if we all think that Johnny's going to go to the World Cup in 2023 and get through five or six games unscathed, then you know 
I think we're all living in cuckoo land. Yeah, and that that that's why it's it's definitely a fair conversation um, to to ask whether um, we should be looking into it. But I will just say I've heard Sexton talk about this before, and just to be fair to him, he does take these things very seriously. Like it's it it is his life over after all, and I think people see him as you know this kind of guy who'll just go, oh, I only care about the next play, and I don't care about my life or anything like that. I'm not taking it seriously, and 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 he and he will often say as well, like you know. He's got doctors who are actually examining him personally, and I suppose the rest of us are from a, I think, from a good place because we're worried about him and the game in general and head injuries that, in the past, let's face it, haven't been taken seriously. But when he was stood down that time, um, when he was at Racing, he did some interviews on it and talked about how there is a lot of misunderstanding out there about you know, how he was being treated at the time by his doctors and by his teams and his own attitude towards it. So I think, again, it's it's not to dispute anything you say at all. It's just to, it's to give that fair point to Sexton. Yeah. Absolutely fair enough, Mick. And, like, um, the doctors at the end of the day and the medical staff, they're the ones that ultimately say if you're fit or not to, to, to take the pitch. Um, but, again, to, to flip it over, like, there's got to be a, a personal responsibility in yourself to go, geez, Especially with all this that's come out with you know Steve Thompson and yeah you know, absolutely like it, it just seems that um, yeah it, it's Mick it's an absolute bloody minefield isn't it like it, it's yeah. it's a minefield and people have their own opinions but at the end of the day Johnny Sexton and the medical staff at Ireland they're the only ones that matter they're the only ones that know the true situation of what exactly is going on if Johnny passes everything this weekend and he's the lead out Ireland against France on Sunday. Then everybody, myself included, I've got to respect that, respect the medical opinion, and uh, and hopefully he's fully fit and he can, and he can complete a game of rugby. And that's the way we kind of got to look at it. Absolutely, I never thought this would be the least important of the things that we've talked about so far. Yeah. But how are uh, with uh, James Ryan's a doubt, Johnny Sexton's a doubt. We don't have Peter Amatney. We're already without Stockdale. You know what I mean? You're starting to think this is starting to feel a little bit depleted now. Uh, you know, France have. The greatest player to ever uh, grace a rugby field in, uh, in Anton Dupont, and you know, are just did look scintillating at times against Italy. It's only Italy. We talked about them last week in the position that they're in. However, I think France also backed up what we said about them. How do Ireland go out and beat them this week? And like I, I said it to, to David Wallace on the show, we we're doing like, is it even possible? And it's like that sounds a bit stupid, but at the you do, it was a, it was very much in the aftermath of like. Ireland were poor against Wales, no matter what way we want to look at it, except for maybe a 20-minute period, and France just looked like they're the old France. They're going to swagger into town on Sunday. Yeah, it's, it's having that bounce-back ability, isn't it? And that's something that you would always say about the All Blacks, you know, when uh, the RGs or Australia got a, a shock defeat or a shock win against them. But they, mm. you know, they put things right the following week. But, um, you know, listening to the comments before, even before the, the Welsh game, and afterwards about Johnny Sexton saying, you know, if people think that we're one of the top teams in the world, you know, they're mistaken. So I think even the players themselves know that they've a lot of work to do over, over the next couple of years to get themselves back up to the crazy heights of 2018. Um, and, and France rolling into town as favourites. Um, France always seem to be the team that play better when they're, they're favourites. You know, they, they, they kind of have that swagger about them. Um, you know, the UA that, that, that they like. I'm not sure what the weather is due to be like on Sunday. Probably a bit of rain, a bit of wind, as always, in February time in, in Dublin. But it'll be, inter- be interesting to see how 
the French adapt their game, considering it was perfect conditions in Rome. Mm. Um, it'll be completely different in Dunn. And can they manage that and how they manage that? You know, Jalibert at out half is, is, it seems to be ticking along well. Dupont, you know, was on for what, 50 minutes for a cameo against against the Italians. So they are they are a team to be really wary of, not just in Six Nations, but in world rugby going forward. Um, and, and, and how are Ireland going to get a victory? Well, they got to cut out the mistakes first and foremost. Like, you're not going to win a game of rugby by kicking the ball out in the full a couple of times, missing um, kicks to touch in, in crucial positions, you know, trying to offload the ball on the edge of your own 22 and getting turned over. Like, uncharacteristic mistakes that you would never, ever have seen when Joe Smith was, you know, the head coach. I and mean, maybe he drilled those uh, those finer things a little bit more into the lads. But, um, yeah, how, how do you get a foothold in the game? You cut out the mistakes first and foremost and then see how you go from there. Yeah, and I think that's one of the disappointing things about last Sunday was that Ireland did kind of get back. And you can understand fatigue. You saw someone like Ian Henderson coming on and looking like a million bucks in the first half. You know, it was like, a, it was as good as you've seen him in a while. You know, he yeah. was just doing everything. And then he had no legs left of the, in the second half. And that was because, you know, you're almost doing two people two people's work if 14 men and he hasn't played a lot of rugby that was the case with a lot of them so you can understand mistakes to a certain degree because we're taking that 14 men in, into account but it also was i don't know it, it just seemed like once wales got a foothold in the game ireland's confidence level dropped as well now not to go back relitigating that again but i, I it is a bigger worry about those mistakes than just we had 14 men and it kind of it, it all got too much eventually yeah it did and like unfortunately for Ireland, you know, Johnny didn't play particularly well, and um, you know Keith Earls, you know stupid penalty, kicking the ball out in the full. Uh, you know, just a, a couple of individuals probably didn't have their best game, and when your backs against the wall, down to fourteen, that's when you need your leaders and your experienced players to step up to the plate, and it almost went the opposite way for for Ireland at the weekend. Um, it was more the, the newcomers like Byrne and, um, you know, Handy even off the bench. Mm, Keenan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so it, it's, it, it's, it's a tricky one. Um, they got to learn from it. And I know we talk about losses and all the time and, you know, you got to learn from your mistakes and everything else. But if they don't learn from the mistakes, like they could easily get beaten by 10 or 15 points this weekend at home. And with that, would go down like a lead balloon, like um, within the media and within the Irish players and, um, yeah. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Hopefully that we do have that bounce back ability, like I talked about. They get themselves up for it uh, physically and mentally, and they're able to challenge the French, who are a very buoyant side and uh, an entertaining side to watch, actually. Yeah, can I ask if you think that there was enough of the uh, a game plan? Like individual mistakes might have cost us the game in the end, plus a massive red card. Not to underestimate it at all, but I also thought that our tactics didn't seem to have evolved massively over the last few months, or even again over the last couple of years. I thought before Amatni got sent off, we were playing really, really poorly. Static ball again from the forwards. All the you know, all the things that we said we can't have anymore. You talked about it at length last week, really, really well. And it just seemed like it was the same. Funny enough, they did seem to pick it up a little bit in the second half and come from deeper, or in the second half of the first half, I should say, um, and come from a little bit deeper. But again, to the lay lay person watching, doesn't seem to be a big stamp of. Um, new tactics or improved tactics from the coaching team, from what I could see, anyway. 
Yeah, like I think it was tough um, considering okay. the circumstances. But, you know, I think, again, people highlighted the Robbie Henshaw try and said, oh, look, he cut, cut a back against the green and, you know, seen the space there. And I'm like, it's, no, the ball got past him and he ran out of options and the attack was going absolutely nowhere. And he backed himself to cut back inside and, and try and get a gain line. And Tipperick missed a tackle. And, you know, he thought Henshaw had a brilliant game and, and got himself over the gain line. He, like, he didn't catch the ball and identify that there was loads of space back there. You know, that wasn't talked about during the week that, you know, we'll go out here and there's a brick wall in front of us. We'll actually run 20 yards around the other side of the ruck and there'll be, you know, Tipperick there, who's usually one of the best tacklers in the game. He'll miss that tackle and then you'll go on, get it off road and we'll be able to score. Like, like that's not planned like uh, at all. It was just brilliant play by Robbie Henshaw to break that first tackle, use a bit of a disguise. I think it was Andrew Porter got a, a bit of a half block as well on, yeah. on the on the defence coming across. So you talk about tactics there, even when Ireland looked, looked like they were half decent in that second half of the first half. For me, it didn't look like they were going to score a try at any yeah. stage, really. You know, and there, there wasn't half line breaks of getting in behind. And as you rightly say, there it wasn't until late, late on in the game when Ringrose you know, broke up the, the far end of the pitch and we started to go wide, wide. And we all know that's a lot easier when defences are, are tired and stretched um, that you, you're able to do that. But um, yeah, it's, it's something that needs to be looked at. When you come up against the best teams, it's really difficult to implement the game plan that you want. And sometimes they dictate the way that you play. And um, Ireland, for me, need to go back to basics, get the basics right. And then their their, their game plan, whatever that, that may be, will come a lot easier. It has to come a lot easier. Would you uh, would you be looking at France minus three if you were to pick this weekend? God knows what this competition is going to throw up. That's next fair. Week. That's fair. <laughs> Well, we, might, we might move on to Scotland and Wales. Maybe that's one we can pick because, yeah. to be honest, I'd rather have a little bit more. I would I would have loved to have a bit more time. We obviously got a very important and really good discussion. Um, so we, we'll kind of go through it. But, like, my first question for you is, like, we've talked about them so often and England are probably a bigger story on, on Saturday than Scotland. It was a great game. It was really, really good to watch. It was only 11-6, but it was just really enjoyable. But is this time finally for Scotland for real? I'm laughing as I say it. <laughs> it. It was a good. It was a good game, but I think the only the reason it was a good game was because Scotland won. Like, yeah, you know, I think if England had won eleven six the way Scotland played, it, everybody would have been saying, "Oh, it was a dreadful game." You know, it was a rubbish game. But there was a couple of things in that game that just swung it towards Scotland. And I talk about the big game players standing up, uh, not standing up for Ireland. It was the role reversal uh, for Scotland. You know, Stuart Hogg, who's susceptible to a few mistakes here and there, he had a really steady game. And you know that spiral kick to the corner, just relieving pressure, turning England around. Finn Russell, granted he missed a couple of kicks at goal and got charged down for that crazy attempt at the, the drop goal. But apart from that, his game management wasn't too bad. And um, he seems to give confidence to the lads. Uh, around him and you know young red path i know his, his dad quite well mm. brushy like um you know he, he was exceptional in, in the center and they mixed it up you know the couple of the overthrows in the line out getting red path into the game early giving the young man confidence um and yeah i think the quality across you know the scotland england game and especially the ireland wheels game the quality wasn't as high as i thought it was going to be 
um uh but you know it's it's the first game and hopefully we see uh the sides get you know get better as the tournament progresses but uh yeah i, I fancy scott i fancy scotland to beat wheels i think the handicap actually believe it or not the handicap is five points as it stands mm. now we all seen last week the way the handicap shift shifted when the teams were announced it's five points the minute scotland are playing at home and scotland beat the reigning champions away from home by five points last week so you would you would go like how high is that five points surely scotland can beat wheels by more than five points surely so like i'm gonna believe my own garbage here mick and say scott scotland minus five at 10 to 11 would, would definitely be a bet there uh, and yeah. i think that handicap's only going to get bigger because you might be getting a few free point, points by the fact that they're Scotland, you know, and that nobody trusts them to actually go and do it. But maybe yeah, this is their time. They were good, they have good players, like. Yeah, but the wheels are, are, you know, four guys out of the starting 15 for uh, wheels at the weekend are now unavailable through, yeah. through injury. Yeah, poor um, Dan Lydian. My God. Crucial confirmed, yeah. Josh Adams still isn't back. You know, Liam Williams comes back in, but, you know, one out of five or whatever that is. So it's going to be a lot of mixing and matching and, and trying to make things up. Johnny Davies isn't back in there either. He hasn't been put back into the squad. So you're going to see um, uh, the back line similar enough with North at 13. So yeah, I, I fancy Scotland. It wouldn't surprise me actually. Um, I just wrote it down there. Uh, Scotland to win between six and 10 points at the weekend is is four to one. Um, and right, that's okay. what I would be edging towards. So to beat that handicap and just to, to maybe best score. So six to 10 points at four to one. Absolutely, there you go. I think that I had to say after the game, I thought that like Pivac and, and Wales, I thought like very lucky to come up against Ireland when they did with the red card incident as it did because they would be under serious, serious pressure this weekend in Murrayfield if uh, if Ireland had gone on and won that match. Even even not being playing as well as we would, I still think with 15, with 15 men, Ireland would have won it. But on to England then because, look, you saw this coming. Um, you, you have to be honest. Uh, at the uh, during the week, you talked about it um, last week with us, saying that uh, you know that they really needed to evolve their game. And I think what we've seen take the Saracens thing out of it. I think it's it's a real point that those lads haven't had enough rugby, and they're very very key players for this team. But at the same time, we've seen talk about Ireland's lack of evolution. We've seen no evolution. I've actually done a couple of stats here, right? I just looked at since the World Cup final, England and taking out Georgia and Italy games, right? Which is fair, I think, you know, given that they are a, lot, a level below. And I've done that for all the rest of the teams. England have only scored eighteen point seven points per game. Ireland have scored 21 in that time. France have scored 25 in that time. And when you consider England have been the best team, have beaten France twice and Ireland twice in that time, they're just not scoring enough, you know. And I, we talked last week even like, the, you know, I think the 18-9 against Ireland in November. Ireland were still in that game, despite the fact that we were getting absolutely hammered on the pitch. And I, it just came back to haunt them on Saturday, really, didn't it? It did, yeah. Um It's a, it's a weird one, isn't it? Like the, the, the rugby that was being played, I know we chatted about, at uh, it, it all before in, in the Autumn Nations Cup by England was absolutely dreadful. Like it was horrible to watch. Like, give me a Pro 14 game any day of the week or a Gallagher Premiership game every day of the week. Um, and they they haven't evolved. And I know there's loads of screenshots of you know seven on twos and six on ones and that, that England just kicked the ball away. But it has to be something that they talk about is that around the halfway line that they put pressure back on the opposition by kicking the ball. Like they kicked the ball so much 
and they kick the butt possession away. And they've got such talented players, like Johnny May in the wing. Like, he's better than just chasing kicks all day. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Henry Slade is is unbelievable for Exeter, week in, week out, putting guys through holes, offloads out the back. But yet, when he puts an England jersey on, he just looks so one-dimensional and scared to to, to get himself and have an impact in the game. And uh, was it Ollie Lawrence? There was a stat thrown out that he made one carry for three yards or something, and he didn't touch the ball until the 50th minute. You know, something around that. But that just that just shows you that England just want to kick it and, and, and then back their defence, back that they're going to make the opposition make mistakes, capitalise off that, win penalties, or be able to use the power game that they, they have at times to, to muscle over. Uh, you know, Jimmy George... Is usually on the end of a few tries from Malls, but even at the weekend with you know Ellis Gange and um, who was the tight head, uh, can't remember Will Stewart. You know, yeah. I, I just I just think that uh, you know up front, I'm not sure if you watched that O2 like behind the scenes thing, did you? I don't think I didn't think I could stomach it to be honest. <laughs> there's an O2. Uh, obviously, they're the main sponsor of England, yeah. and uh, they were doing like a behind the, the scenes thing and. Of course, like you know, it was the the prop club or you know the front row club. Uh, you know, all these lads were you know Ben O'Bano, you know a man from the, the southwest London rapper by trade, and all you know all this. And it's just like, are these guys actors or are they rugby players? Like you know what I mean? It was it was the most bizarre thing, and it was put out. And then the front row got well, they didn't get the ball, but they, 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 yeah, they close got to a hard, it. close yeah, to it, yeah. Hard, hard day against Scotland. Um, Were you in uh, Ireland camp when uh, they released the Grand Slam video before they came to Lansdowne Road? When with the the time we beat them, um, stopped them from getting the Grand Slam in yeah. 2011. Yeah, did yeah. that? Did that get into the dressing room? Was that a real? Or were well, you... they not, did they not have the t-shirts and all printed off? Yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah and it was a video made. <laughs> And then Brian O'Driscoll got a lovely. It's speaking of Robbie Henshaw running the wrong way. I remember O'Driscoll turning it up and going into the far corner that day. <laughs> Mental, like so. <laughs> yeah, it seems that you know all, all this focus behind the scenes is um, you know taken. We all know Eddie's a very stubborn coach. He seems to be you know, even when it comes to selection. Well, if if you look at a selection and then you go, well, you know, it's exactly the same when it comes to the game plan. Uh, because he's very stubborn on, on, on what he's wanting to achieve with that. It got them to a Rugby World Cup. Uh, they, I know they played for, you know brilliantly well against uh, against the Kiwis mm-hmm. in the semi-final, but it's not going to win them a Rugby World Cup. In my personal opinion, I don't think it's going to win them a Rugby World Cup. And it showed there at the weekend that it's not going to win um, you know big games, crunch games against even you know countries closer to home so yeah they, they got to evolve and the backlash that the english media are getting on top of them is uh is huge um and you know they'll probably go out and score 50 or 60 points this yeah. weekend relieve a bit of pressure um, 38 points on ladbrooks yeah. is, the, is the spread 30, for this one 38? so yeah 38 huge <laughs> well it was tw- it was 20 21 points at the start of last week against italy uh france versus mm. italy so it just shows you that I think 38 points is a lot. Yeah, it seems like a lot. All right. So maybe we'll go for Italy plus 38. We'll go uh, Scotland minus five. And then how about a draw 20 to one in the Ireland-France game? Well, that's, yeah. I know I've got a <laughs> written piece uh, week in, week out for Ladbrokes. And um, actually, a tip is just to go on the handicap for both the games of Ireland versus France and for Scotland versus Wales. They're both at 
twenty to one, but that's on the handicap. So yeah. For uh, for for Scotland to win by five and for France to win by three, um, and it gets four hundred and forty to one. So there we go there we go if you want that <laughs> double 20 to one shot 440 to one of course obviously you only want a couple of cents on that if you're going for a big one like that but if you are having a bet on any of the rugby or anything else at all over the course of this week please do gamble responsibly visit on louis.net for more information stevie thanks a million we'll be back with you next week with the appreciate it We'll talk to, uh, when Ireland are back on track after beating Wales, no doubt. Uh, (laughs) We'll be back with you then. Take it easy.